There's so many mistakes that I've made along the way, right? And now I have to make it work because if I don't, then there's actually quite a lot on the line at that point. If it wasn't for the business, we possibly never would have got married. Welcome to the NatWest Business Show. I'm Angelica Bell, and today I have the pleasure of talking to Alex Rico Lloyd about her unique business journey. Alex is the co-founder of Bike Club and a business leader to be reckoned with. She has a deep passion for cycling and a commitment to empowering the next generation to get out and ride. We'll be delving into her journey, discussing the art of balancing work and home life, whilst exploring her advocacy for underrepresented communities. If you've got an idea that could change consumer behaviours or want to get it off the ground, do listen in. Welcome, Alex. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me here. Very exciting. Now, before we get into your story, I want to ask you about a business confession. So this could be a moment of failure that helped shape who you are or a business blunder that gave you a valuable lesson. So what is that confession? It's a really difficult one because I think there's like, there's so many mistakes that I've made along the way, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think if you were to go with a big confession, I started out the business with my boyfriend at the time. And we later got married and had children and stuff. And now we're getting divorced. And I think my big confession is that I think we made very good business partners. But having like reflected on the relationship, I think if it wasn't for the business, we possibly never would have got married. So this is quite a big confession because it's about business. And you could say pleasure, you know, something that people don't, you know, you know, that people don't open up about. But you're very candid about that. So are you saying that your confession is when you set up a business, think about the people you're setting up with or, you know, all the parameters that are around you? You know, what, what can you sort of dig deeper into that for me? Yeah, I think it's so important who you set up business with. Um, I think a lot of people possibly don't give it enough thought. And I think we were very lucky with the fact that um, you know, he had a very like particular skill set. I had a very particular skill set. Actually, we would come from very different backgrounds and we were able to come together in this kind of almost perfect blend of let's get going. And we've got we've got the kind of perfect co-founding team. And we were lucky about that. And I don't think we necessarily I think we took it for granted. We didn't really think it through enough. Mm. But a lot of people, when they're setting up businesses, they probably set up business with, or they think about going into business with a friend or a family member. And it's actually quite dangerous going into business with a friend or a family member because inevitably, if the business grows or as you kind of come across various hurdles, you've got to be able to overcome them together. And when you have this kind of strong personal bond Yes, it can kind of help you through certain struggles, but then also you you risk inevitably there's a lot of like co-founder divorce, not, you know, not when you are married, Married, but like it's a a common term, co-founder divorce. Mm. Um, And so I think you really do have to think about not just the skill sets and and whether you're right to go into business together, but do you really want to risk that friendship or that relationship? So let's go back to the start of it all, because you set up your business sitting on your parents' sofa, you put all your savings into this, created your first web page. Um, so let's talk about from that moment to how it grew to be so successful. Um, I set up the first website for Bike Club, sat on my parents' sofa. And um, at the time, we kind of, we only had money to buy 
like 10 kids bikes or whatever so that was I guess a project for us okay we'll buy some children's bikes and see what happens so the um, bike club offers subscription kids bikes which you exchange as they grow and we had enough money for 10 kids bikes and they just seemed to go. I think our first customer was in somewhere in Scotland. And initially we said we'd only we'll only service Greater London where we can drive and drop off the bike. Um, and so it was, I guess, this kind of community bike renting feel to it. But we very quickly realized that actually there's a lot of demand outside of Greater London. So we should just service the rest of the country as well. So you get couriers on board and you kind of set up this operation that services the whole of the UK. And then we needed to find funding. So my boyfriend at the time remortgaged his flat. Um, we took out loans and credit cards and borrowed money from family and friends. And I guess it was a little bit less risky for them because they knew that at the end of the day there were some kids bikes out there that they'd brought <laughs> indirectly yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the same time we had these addresses of where we, we were sending these bikes to and we didn't know who we were sending them to um, and it just kind of grew from there a little bit of digital marketing and advertising on online um, that got the word out and the membership grew so the aim was to make cycling more affordable and sustainable and allow children to have that experience that you felt so passionate about. Yeah, because as an as an adult to buy bikes for your children every couple of years or whatever, um, and actually a, a child on average exchanges their bike every 12 to 15 months. So it's every single year you're buying a new kid's bike. Um, and I don't know whether you've done a clear out of your house at all recently, but if you go to the dump, there's always there's always a bike. <laughs> yeah. And it's heartbreaking because a lot of the time you look at it and it, yes, it might need some new brake pads or something. But actually, the the, the frame of a bicycle, um, it, it, that can last that can last for many years. Um, and so the, the idea of Bike Club is, yes, there's an element of making it very hassle-free for parents and it's somewhat more economical, so you're not buying a bike every year. Um, but really it was to try and almost bring this understanding to parents that you do need the right size bike for your child. Otherwise, they have a bike that's way too big for them and they can never really cycle it. They don't grow the confidence mm. that you need as an adult to be confident cycling on the road or whatever. Um and so the premise of Bike Club is that your child can have the right size bike um, and they never really outgrow their bike because you can just exchange it again. Um, and then we've got this massive operation and loads of, loads of mechanics who refurbish the bikes and get them out to the, the next family. So you had these 10 bikes, the business grew and, you know, let's talk about the numbers of bikes. How did they grow and what numbers? What were we talking? So we launched late 2016 and we said if we get to 300 bikes rented out one of us will quit our jobs and we got to that before Christmas um that year so within a couple of months and I think because so you were doing this alongside work yes alongside full-time work so I guess your side hustle I think people people now call it yeah well that must have been a lot to try and set up a business you both mm. you know you and your co-founder both 
trying to hold down jobs at the same time, thinking, oh, this might be something nice, could be passionate about it, and then it blows up. It was fun though, right? Yeah. Because we were passionate about it. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'm quite operational, and so it was kind of fun to wake up to customer emails in the morning bef- and then do a few deliveries before I went off and did my day job. Um, and it was fun until it, until you've only got so many hours in the day and then you fill those hours up. And you're like, ah, oh, we kind of have accidentally ended up with a business here. So Christmas comes, who quit the job? I quit my job in March. <laughs> so it took a bit of time to, it's scary, like quitting your job and your career and your safety net of having a salary. It's really scary to kind of take that, take that step. And so although we'd hit, we'd kind of set ourselves this this goal of when we get to this point, someone's going to quit, we continued for a few months after that until it kind of reached breaking point. Okay, breaking point. Well, where actually we had not enough time in the day right. and someone had, to, someone had to decide to kind of go all in. So once you quit your job, how did you adapt and what changes did you notice? I think I noticed a change in, it went from being a hobby to actually this is going to be my career now. I've quit my day job and my career and my safety net and I've got this external investment, be it friends or family, and and now I have to make it work because if I don't, then there's actually quite a lot on the line at that point Mm. when you decide that this is something that you're going to try and do. Um, so I guess in myself, I noticed this sudden, this sudden need to perform and to succeed. Yeah. And did you have to find other investors after that? We did. So in 2019, we, so kind of a couple of years into the business, um, we managed to raise funding from angel investors. So people that tend to invest in smaller businesses anyway, um, we had a few of them come on board and they invested into the business. Uh, we actually set up a board, um, which was also a bit weird for me. Uh, my, my parents had never really come from a business environment. My dad works for the police. And so to suddenly be like, oh, every month I've got a board meeting to go to kind of feels a bit weird doing that sort of thing. <laughs> a bit grown up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, we had a board and we had like proper investors who I didn't know, um, and somehow ended up with a business and kind of 50 odd employees and it's kind of, it it just, it just kept growing. Yeah. And so there wasn't really any point where it felt too much because I grew, I grew with it. Mm Uh, and I had to, I had to kind of do reading or talk to people or get advice. Um, but there are moments where you t- take stock and look back and be like, what, what is this? <laughs> how, how, how has this happened? Well, you've touched on the fact that you and your co-founder, I'm going to say co-founder because you were yeah. co-founders, you had different upbringings and experiences and, you know, can you can you expand on that and tell us how that affected the business or or affected what you felt or like you're saying just it all just became a bit like wow yeah i think networks is like a really important thing and so he um he was privately educated 
so he went to private school in the UK and I went to the local grammar school. So I'm a grammar school girl. and Which is still brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Very, I, I was very proud of that. Mm. Um, and I guess what you don't realise is that the, I mean, the majority of people in the UK go to state school, right? Um, but actually when you look at business leaders and a lot of people who make it to the top, they're privately educated. And there's a real, I think there, it really is a real kind of class difference. I don't know whether to call it class or socioeconomic difference or whatever, but where people are given different opportunities. And I think a lot of it's down to the kind of soft skills training that you probably get at, um, at private school where you're kind of taught to articulate yourself, taught to carry yourself and taught to believe in yourself. Um, I think that plays a big part in it, but also the networks of your friend's dad runs a hedge fund or something and or, or whatever it might be I I didn't have that and he did so if we had if we had an issue that we came like a business problem that we came up against whether it was uh employment related or tax related his parents would know someone so did that take away some of sort of the decision making or maybe you know, when you start a business and I've spoken to a lot of people, they say, that, you know, working that out, the hustles, part mm -hmm. of it, and also doing it on your own. But if you've got it there, does that sort of take away that experience or did you just go with it? Or did you, I, I mean, I'm trying to work out, you know, how that impacted you and your business. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't say it takes away the hustle. There's definitely a lot of hustle. Um, our first now we've got warehouses and mechanics and everything and but when we started out we had we packed his flat full of bikes in boxes um, and then we moved and actually our first employees came to work from the flat um, why they chose to take up that sort of employment I don't know but forever grateful that they did and then the kind of second warehouse warehouse was a friend's garage. Um, and so there's there, there's still like there's still elements of hustle along there. I just think that uh, maybe parts of our journey were a little bit easier because he had that network to fall back on. And uh, this is why communities, I think, are, are so fantastic. Um, and when we. When we moved into a co-working space, that was a real difference for me because suddenly instead of it being him the only one who had a support network, I was able to start making friends in the co-working space who were kind of going through similar stages or had been through a similar stage that I was going through and were able to kind of support like friends in business that were able to support me. Mm. Um, and that that network and that community is really important to being able to get through those stages because you have talked about finding it lonely being a yeah. founder and it I think I found it possibly slightly lonelier because because my co-founder had the support network and I and I didn't and I wish that I'd started that I even just like reach LinkedIn's great and maybe it's changed since we started the business but like if just reach out to someone on LinkedIn and be like I really admire what you've done. Would would I be able to get a coffee with you sometime? And I think a lot of a lot of the time people want to help, but actually reaching out to someone can be quite nerve-wracking. 
Um, but I, I wish I, I wish I'd done that sooner. So how did you manage building the business up and your home life and the children? Um, in a lot of ways, they probably came well, came together, but it helped that my co-founder was my husband. So we would just constantly talk about work when we're at home changing nappies even when I was in labor there's videos of me practicing investment pitches um so they kind of it kind of all just came together and the I I strap the kids to me and take them to work and I just they just slotted into my life um it wasn't like I took this eight-month maternity leave or whatever and then had to come back to work it's just I took two weeks to to have a baby and then and then kind of just get on with it bring them with me mm. so they became part of the journey basically yeah yeah um until they could go to nursery and is that because you know there was that idea that you had to work and keep the business going that you didn't stop yeah um with my with my last child once the business was a bit bigger and even with my second child I said okay this time I'm going to take maternity leave I'm going to do it properly this time around but when we were, when I had my second child, we were just raising another funding round, which meant that when that funding came in, we'd be able to hire a senior management team um, who would kind of take on a lot of what I'd been doing and I'd be able to take maternity leave. And we were due to close our, ser- uh, our Series A, that funding round, in 2020. And COVID hit. So... That delayed the funding round because a lot of investors were being a a lot more cautious about what sort of businesses they were investing in Um, and investments just weren't really happening. And so we did manage to close the round, but it was delayed by a few months and it meant that it was all meant to time perfectly, (laughs) meant to, but nothing ever really happens to plan, especially when you're an entrepreneur. And, And it didn't time perfectly. And when I had her we still hadn't closed the funding round. We weren't able to hire those people. And so it was a necessity because if I hadn't, if I hadn't kept going into the business, we wouldn't have continued growing. Mm. We wouldn't have ended up with that funding and either the business wouldn't have survived, which is probably a bit too extreme, or it would have just taken a lot longer to get to where we got to. So I guess there's moments where you've had to just sort of bite the bullet, but then other times where you can sit back and let the business do its thing. No, I think sitting back and letting the business do its thing is really, that was really a lot later on. Um, Once we did have that kind of senior team in. And it's really exciting when you get to a point where you're able to hire people who have had really long careers in whatever they're doing. Take, Take it, for instance, marketing. And you're able to hire like a really, really good heavy hitter. And it's really exciting to watch them suddenly just completely transform the business in a way that you wouldn't have been able to do. But as an entrepreneur, like you you, you said, it's the hustle. You've got to learn to do all of these things to a certain degree, but you can never be, you can never be a pro, you can never be an expert. But being able to hire people really does change things. Yeah, I think I've grilled you enough. Have I grilled you enough? Yeah, I'm like sweating. Right, we're going to interrupt <laughs> things now. And this is a little section we call trending takes. All right, now I'm going to pose some debatable statements 
based on things we've talked about to you okay. right now, things that have been found online. And it'd be oh, good cool. to hear your thoughts. Trending take number one. Selling your business should be the end goal. <laughs> uh, okay. Business, inevitably. Why do you start a business to make money? I, 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 think, I think that's obvious, right? A business needs to be able to make money, to be able to make an impact, to continue to grow. I think that it's much more difficult to grow a business and kind of do the hard work if you're not on board with actually trying to change something, do something better. But then that's me. Um, and some people are motivated by money and that's, that's not me. I'm, I'm not motivated. I'm not motivated by money. I was always motivated by the purpose and the vision and the kind of doing good and changing the world. Okay. Here's another one. Bootstrapping is the most effective way to start a business. Okay. So bootstrapping a lot of I, I when I started the business I had no clue what bootstrapping was and we bootstrapped for a few years before I even learned what it was um bootstrapping is basically where you kind of fund your own business without getting external investment so you fund the growth of the business from the revenues that are coming in and so we say that we bootstrapped for a few years because we got investment from family and friends and so and directors loans and kind of remortgaging and credit cards and loans and stuff. And that managed to fund our growth for the first few years. Now, our growth could have been quicker if we hadn't bootstrapped and if we got external investment um, because we wouldn't have been relying on kind of waiting for some of those memberships to to kind of run their course so that we could buy new bikes second time round I would probably raise money earlier and do it sooner maybe because I have more faith in myself maybe because I know it's possible maybe because I've already learned some lessons I think if you grow too quickly you can either lose your purpose or you can lose the business, you kind of come across so many difficulties and you don't know what to do and so many hurdles and challenges. So I wouldn't say bootstrapping is necessary, but I think it helps to kind of work out those those earlier problems and have time and space to deal with them. And how about this one? A good business doesn't need to reinvent the wheel. Excuse the pun. <laughs> I didn't write this one. <laughs> I, a good business doesn't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, I think a lot of the time people don't start a business because they feel that it's just not a good enough idea. And you sit there and you debate on, oh, I need this life-changing idea that no one's ever thought of before. I mean, the reality is someone probably thought of your idea before you. They just didn't do anything with it. But also I, I think a lot of good businesses out there don't reinvent the wheel. They do, they sell hair clips or they, but they can make a really good business from that. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. On that note, that wraps up this section. Thank you so much. And if you're watching this podcast on YouTube, get involved in the comments as we'd really love to know what you think of those trending takes. Alex, let's discuss you leaving bike club and leaving the business that you set up why did that happen I guess as a founder you you kind of go through this this point where you wonder whether the business actually needs you anymore um and 
you've got kids, right? Mm. So, and they will get to the point well, they where won't need me. they won't need you. And it is, I, I did get to that kind of similar point with the business. Like, how much longer does this business need me? And am I the right person to be taking this business to to the next level? And I think what made my decision a little bit easier and maybe, maybe made my me make that decision a little bit more prematurely was the fact that the business went international. Um, so we were operating only throughout the UK. And then post-COVID, we set up an office in Gibraltar, um, which all our customer service and administrative functions started going through. So I was kind of part of that for, for a bit and a lot of travel involved. I took the kids with me and we'd, we'd kind of make it work, but it was also, it was pretty tiring. Um, and then the business strategy was very much to go into Europe and be this kind of leader of family cycling within Europe. And I, w I had to do a bit of soul searching, like what sort of mother do I want to be? How often do I want to tuck the kids into bed at night? And can I realistically, like, can I do that whilst growing this international business? And the the answer to that was was no. So I guess at that point I knew I needed to leave. And I needed but then some people listening might think, okay, well, that's fair. You know, you love your family. You're a great mother. But couldn't you have been still part of the business and still, you know, have eyes on it or something? You literally left. Yeah, I actually tried, um, I tried changing my role um, and kind of taking, taking a slightly different role within the business. But I think for me, I was so, maybe because I was so passionate about it, I was quite like intertwined with this, this identity of me and bike club and... I had been so involved, like through having kids, I'd laid in hospital beds and continued working. And I, it was just, it was almost like this unhealthy obsession in a way. And for me to be able to continue being a part of bike club, but in a slightly different role, one, was that a role that I wanted? I, I'm young, I've got a whole career ahead of me did I want that role or did I want to kind of go off and explore other options? And I felt that I felt ultimately I probably had a lot to give the world. Um, and it felt like the right time to leave. And the way that um, we managed that was uh, I, uh, the, the business was going through another funding round. And when a business goes through funding round, it can change a lot. You're suddenly able to hire new staff, the internal structure changes, and it's a good opportunity for a founder to kind of step away. And then another big element of my decision-making was that um, the relationship with my co-founder and husband was not in a fantastic place. And I guess part of me naively hoped that if I stepped away from the business, then our personal relationship would, would would improve as well. Okay. So, you know, this that's a difficult time for you. You know, this is your baby, something you'd you'd grown and your relationship, you know, you're it's could be quite destabilizing. Yeah. We could definitely stay that. Yeah. <laughs> it was very destabilizing. Um 
I like being busy. I like doing lots of different things. I like putting pressure on myself. And I feel that when I'm under pressure, it drives me to be a better person. But that was maybe a little bit too too much pressure. And going through going through that transition of leaving the business, again, I will draw onto the whole network point. I reached out to people who either I'd, I'd admired, like I'd, um, you know, business idols of mine and I reached out to them on LinkedIn and I I, I did say sometimes you know um, I know that you went through a divorce whilst you were going through this time could we have a chat and I've spoken to some of my idols just on the phone because they've given their time to kind of help in a way coach me through that transition Mm. and realize that you're not alone and a lot of people a lot of people have been through similar experiences but it can really feel when you're in the midst of it it can feel like you're all alone yeah and the whole world has come crashing down and I definitely felt that I was like I've lost my job I've lost my passion I'm losing my husband I have everything we moved house and what is my purpose like who who am I and it helped to have those discussions with other people to realize that actually you're a lot you are you. You're a lot more than all those other labels that you've put on yourself. And another label that we put on ourselves is mother. Um, and I guess I've really kind of drilled into that part of my identity. Like I I am me and I'm a mum and trying to work out like who else am I outside of what I used to be. Mm. So what other lessons did you learn from that exit? I think I learned to believe in myself. Um Growing the business, I maybe didn't believe in myself as much as I should have done. Um, A lot of the time because I didn't feel like I was what people expected from a business leader. And a lot of imposter syndrome. I had a lot of imposter syndrome. Um, And that's, I guess, so since I've left Bike Club... I've got a lot more involved in like female founder networks and youth programs because I feel that a lot of the time if there was a role, and you're an incredible role model for a lot of people, but if if you have someone that looks a little bit like you, sounds a little bit like you, um, has similar experiences to you, well, actually you believe that that you can do it too. Mm. And I do think that role models are really important. And as much as it makes me, I feel very uncomfortable talking about myself and my experiences, but I feel like I have a duty to do that because there might be someone out there like a little me who, who I can kind of give a little bit of confidence to. Um, And so I I do, I I just, I, I feel that it is, it's my duty to do that. 100% and you and and I know it's funny talking to you I sort of sense this sort of why am I talking about myself but your story (laughs) is incredible even though you've had these huge I mean seismic changes in your life you know in such a short space of your life Mm. look you're here we want to hear your story (laughs) because it's impactful (laughs) 
And you're laughing. I, I am <laughs> laughing, but that's like, an, that's a nervous laughter. No, right? no. I'm, I'm not, I'm, oh, honestly, I, I had hypnotherapy as a young teenager for my stutter. I am not the person to do this sort of thing. This is not, this should not be me, but it is me because I somehow ended up in this position where I had grown this company and there were also moments where I was going into this office full of people that I had employed and I was responsible for. And in my early 20s, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. But you kind of, you have to. And you have to put on this, like, it's like you're an actor on a stage. Well, I guess you are an actor on the stage. But <laughs> it, it, you just, you have to, you kind of have to pretend to people that you know what you're doing. And a lot of the time you you don't. And I think... If people were to just talk about it a little bit more and be a little bit more open and say, actually, I don't know what I'm doing here and I didn't know what I was doing there, then other people would realise that they don't have, you know, those leaders that you look up to, they don't have all the answers yeah. either. Yeah. And it's okay to ask questions. And uh, and I, I just, I, th I, think, I think that's important because a lot of the time people look at people and they look at who they look up to. And they believe that they can never be like that. And the reality is that underneath the surface, those people that you look up to have their own struggles and they've gone through their own kind of turbulent periods in their life. And I, it, it, it is possible. I kind of, I really believe in authentic leadership and actually being more of your authentic self. And it's spoken about a lot and I don't really think that people necessarily know what that means, like mm. bring your whole self to work type thing. But we've come away from this diplomatic leader who dictates what should happen and you never really know enough about them. You don't know what they got up to on the weekend or whatever. And actually I feel that we should celebrate what makes us all unique and we should celebrate our differences and we should just be a bit more authentic and open about things. Let's do some rapid fire questions. Are you up for it? Yes. Okay. You've got to think quick. Okay. Who is your business inspiration? Helena Morrissey. Why? She has a lot of children. <laughs> <laughs> and she somehow did it. Okay. <laughs> what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, build a network, believe in yourself. Um, don't care about what other people think. Uh, what did you most enjoy about owning and running your business? Um, the people, uh, the, the team as we were building it. The it, Not just the team, but the, the members that we had and the stories that came in. It, it's just feel good. And every, every single Christmas, knowing that there were so many children out there opening up their bikes from underneath the Christmas tree and knowing that they had that joy and they were going to have those wonderful memories. That's special. One thing nobody's talking about in business that they should be. I, I think diversity is spoken about a lot, about um, bringing or giving opportunity to more diverse founders. I think one thing that isn't spoken about enough is the socioeconomic um, differences and backgrounds and socioeconomic diversity within groups. Um, I think there are a lot of businesses that maybe serve a slightly different uh, subset of people that don't exist because people haven't been given the opportunity to build a business in the first place. One tip on how you stay motivated during tough times or setbacks. 
uh, now my my kids that they're, they're, they're my purpose they're my they motivate you they motivate me to to keep to keep going uh, a, a lot of the time um and i want to make my parents proud i want to make me proud and i want to make my kids proud and if i achieve that then i've done i've done good where can people follow you online to know more about you mm -hmm. uh if you want pictures of kids go to instagram uh <laughs> probably not uh linkedin uh, my name is alexandra rico lloyd i want to ask you a quick one as well do you think you'll set up another business yes not now maybe not i'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> have you got something in the pipeline I, there's a few things I'm playing around with um but it's and when I when I left bike club I was given this advice by multiple people is that you need to take a break you need to have time but from one business to the next business and I feel like I'm getting to that point now where I've had enough of a break and I'm I have the energy I think to to go again but I'm also really nervous um I feel that there's more expectation on me this time to actually be successful. Whereas because before, you've had success yeah, before. Because yeah, because I've had success before. And like, I, I don't know, the, the fear of failure is is big. Um, that, but that stops a lot of people, isn't it? It does. It, it does stop a lot of people. And I completely get it because it's stopping me. And I think I was an accidental entrepreneur. I didn't mean to do what I did. And that played in my favor. I did, wasn't kind of second guessing myself all the time. I was just, I was just doing it. I was just getting on with it, building a website, buying some bikes, and it all went from there. And I think the whole idea of setting up a business again is a little bit more daunting because it won't be accidental this time. It will be purposeful, and it's scary. You'll be fine. <laughs> You'll be fine. Listen, thank you so much. You've been really open and honest authentic you brought that word up um, and sharing your journey with us and I think people listening will find your story invaluable and inspiring thank you and to our listeners thank you and don't forget to hit follow and subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest episodes with more wonderful stories from incredible guests and if today's episode had got you thinking about a potential career shift into business, head over to the NatWest website for tools and information that help you take those next steps to success. Mm -hmm.